to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muffins, Black Man Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the podcast that deserves to live because a talking star said so. You know, I've covered some bonkers Christmas specials and TV episodes on this show, but this one is a very strange and very special look down from the heavens back to 1992 to pay a visit to America's most famous zip code. It's Beverly Hills 90210, and it's a totally happening life. creepy English teacher who lost his beard because I bet on my own student to fail, Mike Westfall. And joining me is 30-year-old polygamist posing as a high school senior and author of the Christmas book, The Ultimate Guide to Your Favorite Holiday. Please welcome Ed Daly. Hey, Ed. Hey, thanks for having me on. And what what an introduction. <laughs> I, I do my best. Good, good old teacher Gill. Ooh, I know. That, that was, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much bonkers stuff from this special, but yeah, the teacher betting on a, a student to fail was was up there. So weird. I forgot about that whole angle. I forgot about that whole character. Let's be honest. But yeah, I'm especially excited to talk about this episode with you after you told me this is what made you want to write a Christmas book. So it's it's very embarrassing, but. I was, I, I had written, years earlier, I had written about a um, a list of 90210 characters that you would least or most like to have at your Thanksgiving um, dinner based on the episodes, the Thanksgiving episodes, because okay. they, they had like, we'd take a homeless man in for Thanksgiving. I had, I had a list of all those and I wrote it for some some website and then i had the idea i was like well there are some christmas episodes and there's nothing crazier than it's a totally happening happening life and so i would like to write something about this and i mentioned it to my wife and she's like there's only one person who wants to read this article and it's you <laughs> and so wow. i was like no i've i've got i've i it's so crazy because they borrow from the most famous Christmas movie, but then they forget like the, the true meaning of the movie. <laughs> and, and so I, I was like, but I, I think I can write some sort of freelance column on this. And I couldn't figure out how I was like, maybe I can include it in a larger part of something else. And oh. it just became a book because I was like, well, maybe if I just bury this, this, bonkers christmas special in a, a book and it became a book but that's that's why because my my ulterior motive for writing a christmas book was to talk about how crazy that somebody in 1992 decided to make this special so <laughs> yes uh i 
I do love Christmas and I love writing about it and learning about it and celebrating it. But really, the 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 seed of the entire idea was this crazy special where they failed to to do something basic like rip off a movie. <laughs> It really is just strange how this all fits in. But so you're a big 90210 fan. So I, I I believe I'm a few years older than you. I I was born in 76. So I am 14 years old when this show starts. OK, yeah. And so it's these beautiful, beautiful people in Beverly Hills. I'm a 14 year old in New Jersey. <laughs> freshman in high school on the on the same year as David Silver and everybody's looking great and I watched it and I was not really proud of the fact that I was watching it but I was watching it and um I didn't really talk about it maybe to like one or two friends but I got hooked because these were people like sort of my same age and I I I was like into it. And then I got to college and I mentioned to a few people and they're like, oh, yeah, I like that show, too. And then there was a channel in college that showed reruns. So we would just watch it every day. Oh, nice. So I watched so many times the same episodes, including the one we're doing tonight, because at that point, there were only like five seasons or four seasons. And so I just watched it over and over again. So it just became one of these things that I loved even though I didn't really want to admit that I loved. And now, <laughs> now I'm a middle-aged dad who's, you know, not afraid of embarrassing his kids. So I, I right. did always love this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a little younger. I was 10 when it started. So, I, and I was the youngest one in my class and definitely the least mature. So, but everybody, all the other kids in the class, especially the girls, seemed to be very interested in it. So I was like, oh, maybe I should watch this. So I remember watching bits and pieces of the first three or so seasons, including this episode, because the show was just inescapable for those first few seasons. This was like early Fox when they were like finding their grounds. It was Simpsons, Married with Children and this show and then there were like shows that failed but they were they were just throwing <laughs> stuff against the wall for a they while they really were that would yeah early fox is just fantastic to look back on and this is definitely one of those keystones to that but but i do remember very vividly four episodes of 90210 the pilot yes where a lot happens but i mostly remember brenda getting a fake id and hooking up with a young lawyer which aged really well yeah that's <laughs> Episode one. Uh, I remember Scott accidentally killing himself. Yes. I remember the guys hiring a stripper only for Andre to show up. All right. And shame everybody. And shame everybody. And then this one. Yeah. This this episode, um, this specific episode. So I was 16. Okay. And I was uh, starting or failing to talk to girls and there was a girl that i had a conversation with and the conversation was going kind of long and i had the the mental clock in my head and i was like well this is i believe this is the christmas episode because there were some promos and i was desperately trying to get off the phone before this episode started (laughs) and i missed the beginning of this episode when it came on (laughs) so i didn't i didn't know that they were just trying to do a ripoff of it's a wonderful life, but I wasn't, if you miss the first few minutes, 
you kind of think they're doing some sort of trippy somebody's um listening in but as we'll discuss it they they kind of fail at ripping off a movie so you're not really sure what they're going for if you miss the first few minutes including the name of the guardian angel part two yes i didn't even think about coming in late to this yeah yeah if you come in late to this you're lost oh that's so funny you're like, why are they going back and forth in time? But they're not <laughs> they're not imagining somebody if they're not there. They're like, you're just not sure what's happening. Oh, that's yeah. Those are really crucial. So, yeah, let's briefly talk about it's a totally happening life. First aired December 16th, 1992. Uh, if you want to follow along with us, it's season three, episode 16. You, it's on Paramount Plus or Pluto TV. And as we open on a. Very unusually starry night over the Walsh residence in Beverly Hills. No way it's that clear of a night over Los Angeles County. No. Uh, There's no smog. Nothing. No, you can see every star. I do need to point out, this is the first adaptation of It's a Wonderful Life I'm covering on the podcast. (laughs) Complete with angels as stars in the sky, basically narrating this whole episode for us. So if you miss these first few minutes, you have no idea what this is. I think the most time I've dedicated to It's a Wonderful Life on this show before that is when Batman admits he has never seen it because he couldn't get past the title. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of Batman, the animated series, we have a connection almost right out of the gate. It's 1992 and you need a voice actor with a hard-nosed Brooklyn accent, so you call Robert Costanzo. (laughs) I heard you the first time. This better be good. He's the voice of Gotham Police Detective Harvey Bullock, and here he is the voice of Clarence the Angel. I'll give you I'll give you another pseudo Christmas connection. Yeah, sure. He's the cop who gives Bruce Willis a parking ticket in uh, Die Hard 2 when he tries to pull up to Dulles, I believe. The airport. Oh, that's right. He was like the the gruff. 80s slash 90s guy that was in a million things. Yeah, uh, I think most people might know him as Joey's dad on Friends. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember him on an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Will goes back to Philly and he had a cheesesteak shop and he named the chicken sandwich (laughs) to go after Will. I'll I'll give you another Christmas angle. He is the, um, I believe he was the Keaton's Christmas tree delivery guy in not not the one where they do the Christmas carol. No, I d- I'm doing that one this season. But Alex is a mall Santa and he oh, yeah. he like kind of falls for the story of this girl whose dad's not home. But the B story, because they have nothing for Stephen and Elise, it's they're trying to get a, a adequate tree and this guy keeps delivering garbage trees <laughs> and this this was the guy he was just like the gruff uh salty kind of 80s guy yeah whether it was a dad or or a christmas tree delivery guy but he i mean this guy worked a ton for a while there yeah uh, or uh angel stuck in middle management <laughs> that's right uh 
who's reluctantly about to be introduced to a bunch of West Beverly High School students, whether he likes it or not, by another angel named Miriam. But by then it'll be too late, and a lot of people's Christmases will be ruined forever, and I'll never get my wings. All right, all right. Just stop talking and show me what you got. Who is voiced by Bonnie or Seth, whose voice sounded familiar, but this is the number one thing she's known for, according to IMDb. She had one recurring TV role on the 1983 sitcom We Got It Made as one of the main character's girlfriends. So, yeah, yeah. So she was um, this show was a random show that I think went into syndication maybe a year into it. And I remember it for a woman named Terry Copley, who pretty much it was a show where I believe it was like a maid to two random bachelors, which two guys who are sharing an apartment because they can't afford the rent, um, but they were able to afford a maid. And the maid had um, uh, she was attractive, was kind of the main vibe of the show. And um, she wore tight T-shirts. Okay, And she was one of the girlfriends who was like, why? Why is this maid hanging out at your apartment kind of thing? (laughs) But like the bigger question is, you guys are like 25 years old and can barely afford your own place. But. You have a maid. You also can't clean up after yourself. Right. It was it was <laughs> it was very 80s. Like, we're just going to we need somebody wearing a tight white T-shirts and we're going to have them have that person clean apartments. There was there was no reason. Topics on a dartboard. Yeah. And it worked for a season. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I also recognized on her IMDb photo it's from an episode of Full House. She ran a daycare. Jesse and Becky took the twins, but got separation anxiety when they went to drop them off. And that's her photo on IMDb. Well, I guess that was probably her biggest moment in the sun because We Got It Made was a uh, syndicated show. So people were watching that at 430 in the afternoon. Yeah, just a Full blip. House was 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 big time. Yeah. So here Bonnie Ursef is angel in training Miriam who asks for Clarence help on what she thinks is a code two, whatever that means. But it certainly sounds like official angel business. So the first people Miriam shows Clarence are the West Beverly High Madrigal singers. No relation. That's not who we're really here to meet. They're just singing Christmas carols in the hallway while being videotaped by David, whose camera quickly focuses instead on his girlfriend, Donna. And of course, Miriam has to appease the creator of this universe by calling Donna an angel on Earth if there ever was one. Didn't you find those those singers to look like they were in their early to mid 30s? They all are. All of the kids in this high school look like they're in their early to mid 30s. But no, especially the singers. The cast to varying degrees, like Steve Sanders, Andrea Zuckerman, they look pretty old. But David Silver, I think, was about high school age. But the singers and they were singing very mature, they had mature voices. I was like, these these people are singing like they just hired 30 year olds to to sing in the middle of a high school. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought for a second. I'm like, oh, they're students. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) Uh, But to bring home the point of Donna being an angel on Earth, if there ever was one, it's established in a later episode that her birthday is December 25th. 
Right. So, yeah. It helps when your dad is the uh, the executive producer. So. Yep. <laughs> I have a feeling like, did they put that line in there to appease yeah. daddy? Or is that just how this character is supposed to be? I don't know. But we're going to move on and get to the main cast after Miriam introduces all of them. Next, we meet the, quote, best of friends, the love triangle of Kelly, Brenda, and Dylan, who are wrapping presents to deliver to the kids at a nearby elementary school they've adopted as part of a service project. Clarence is getting bored already, saying these kids are too good looking to have problems, to which Miriam replies... By quoting her angel manual, because the afterlife is buried in bureaucracy. According to section 16B of the manual, physical appearance should not be used to determine worthiness. Thank you for explaining that to me, Miriam. I was just making a comment. Sorry. He wants nothing to do with it, which if they're going with Clarence and they're telling us this is it's a wonderful life, like. The one thing we know about Clarence was he was sweet and earnest. And this is if Clarence had been on the job for another 700 years and everything had gone bad. <laughs> Time just works so much differently up there. But also here are Brandon and Andrea, the two co-editors of the school newspaper, The Blaze. Right. Reading a very dorky high school themed parody of Twas the Night Before Christmas, they actually published. Twas the day before midterms and all through the school. The teachers were jamming, the students were cool. Who were they? The editors of the school <laughs> newspaper. Blaze staff kicked butt to put the paper to bed. Well, visions of vacations danced in their heads. Ed, did you ever do anything for your school newspaper? I did. I didn't. I, even in. Uh, the early 90s, early to mid 90s, I didn't think I was lazy enough to do a uh, retread of Twas the Night Before Christmas kind of thing, where whereas the Beverly Blaze went went full bore on it. Yeah, but I, I, I wrote I, I mean, I, you know, I just wrote, you know, a couple of uh, nonsensical com- columns, but I did not. I did not do any Twas the Night Before Christmas parodies. Yeah, no, I remember writing for mine for a news writing course, but then we were all reading our news on the internet by that time, so unremarkable. Should have (laughs) interviewed a mythical holiday icon because the top story on the front page is an exclusive interview with Mrs. Claus. (laughs) Oh, excuse me, Ms. Claus. It is the year of the woman up in the North Pole. (laughs) Uh, And lastly, we quickly peek in on Steve, who is stuck in detention with a teacher smacking a ruler like he's ready to hit someone with it. What is that? So I don't remember any sort of abuse going on at West Beverly High, but the reason why, and sadly, I know this because I watched every episode, the reason why Steve is in hot water is because he got something called a legacy key from some since graduated guy where you have the key to crack into the teacher's lounge or something. And he gets the computer and he gets, he somehow is able to then crack into the computer, which I guess uh, there wasn't much security back then, but he found tests and then he gets caught and because of that, he risks expulsion. And in the Thanksgiving episode that year, 
he's about to get kicked out of school and his mom argues that he can just have like crazy detention the rest of high school. That explains a lot. Yeah. But but that teacher smacking the ruler looks furious still. Yeah, I mean, there's a threat of violence, which yeah. I mean, if the kid cheated on a test, I'm not sure why the violence had that exist. No, it's just a test. <laughs> but. So instead of doing my usual thing of what else are these people known for? They're known for this. Uh, but instead, I wanted to play a little game called What Was the Last Thing You Saw This Actor In? <laughs> and to start, Ed, when was the last time you saw Brian Austin Green? So to be honest, I've seen him the most of all the cast. Really? But not in acting. Even though I'm not like plugged into gossip rags and stuff. Oh, he was married to Megan Fox. Right. And so everything I've heard of him for the last 15 years has been in relation to her because he's her ex-husband or separated. But I do I do remember he played the best friend role in a Freddie Prince sitcom maybe 15 years ago. So that, oh, that's wow. it. Yeah, no, I, I remember seeing him. He showed up in Smallville as Metallo, the bionic man with a kryptonite artificial heart for an episode. <laughs> but he I, I think he's these days just famous for being famous. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like that's a lot of these guys, but uh, most of them still get work every now and then. Yes. Uh, how about Tori Spelling? Tori Spelling. Yet another person that's kind of famous for being famous. She had issues with, I don't know if it was her mom or her stepmom, but she she famously got cut out of the Aaron Spelling will. Right. And so that was the issue. But I would say the last thing I saw her in when I was researching my book was she was in a, a horrible adaptation of A Christmas Carol starring... Uh, William Shatner and Gary Coleman. A Carol Christmas. A that's Carol my Christmas too. Yeah. So that's the last thing I saw her act in. But I think she's been in several reality uh, show versions of her life and what what's going on with her and her husband and her and her mom, her mom or stepmom. But like, she's more famous for being Aaron Spelling's daughter in reality shows these days. Yeah. I remember seeing promos for those and I, I did mention one cabin fever in my notes here, but I never actually watched it. I just remember nah. seeing commercials for it. Okay. Next Luke Perry, hard to believe he's been gone for three years now as of this recording. Yeah. Sadly, I, I didn't watch Smallville, but I, I know he had a, a part and he was he was uh, having a pretty successful run there. I remember him from the uh, HBO prison show Oz, where he played a preacher. Oh, that's right. Um, But he the last thing I saw him in was he was a um he got a part in Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He played like when they were acting in an old 50s uh western he played like some guy on a horse in one of the okay show when it within the show kind of thing yeah but he was having a decent career sure but yeah sadly uh sadly i think he he died from a stroke yeah that sounds familiar but uh last thing i saw him in was a sequel to the sandlot 
Oh, really? It was the third Sandlot movie. His character gets beamed by a fastball and he gets knocked back in time to his childhood. Wow. Where he gets some life advice from an adult squints. <laughs> and also there's a baseball themed haunted house. It's very stupid, but apparently I remembered it. So it sounds like things picked up after the memory you had. Yes. <laughs> he went from that to a Tarantino movie. So, so he did all right at the end. Uh, next, how about Jenny Garth? So Jenny Garth, I remember there was a a second 90210 show. Oh, yes. Which I gave like a couple episodes because I was trying to recapture that feeling when I was 16. But sure. I think she played Kelly Taylor as like a guidance counselor. Oh, OK. And I think Donna Martin was involved in some some way. But but the one thing I remember her for that I never watched, she was the sister of Amanda Bynes in some sitcom. Oh, with, what was it called? With, uh, what I like about you, it was called. Yes. That was the only thing I know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was the first thing Amanda Bynes did after the Amanda show on Nickelodeon. That's right. So right. That sounds familiar. I remember seeing Jenny Garth on an episode of Cupcake Wars <laughs> where they were making Atari themed cupcakes. She unfortunately lost to Scary Spice. Wow. That's that's a murderous row of, yeah. of uh, cupcake bakers. Yeah, it was them, uh, Andy Dick, and I forget the fourth. But Wow. That's it was quite an episode and they were all, it was all like Atari nostalgia, too. So, yeah, it was neat. Uh, all right. Next, Shannon Doherty. I don't think I've seen her since Charmed. How about you? So the one thing I know of her is Charmed. Um, but um, sadly, there was a reunion show like two, three years ago, and I saw her there and even there because I think believe she has been dealing with cancer oh so they had her as like an add-on to a show where they were doing a i think they called it bh 90210 it was oh, like I a reboot for like it was like three episodes or something oh okay but they added shannon doherty as like a they must have filmed her for an hour and then added a couple scenes. Huh. But but it's kind of embarrassing that I watched that show. But <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think I think Charmed is her big big thing. I'm sure oh, she yeah. made way more money doing Charm than this show because she could command yeah, a bigger paycheck. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I should add these people are still acting for the most part. I just don't watch anything they've been in. No. I'm a bad TV watcher, which is why I have a whole podcast about television specials. But <laughs> still. Uh, Jason Priestley. So, crazy enough, there is a friend of mine that played golf with him a few times uh, last year. And I was like, wow. I he, he, he lives near him. And I was like, you know, I, I would go visit you if I could go play <laughs> golf with Brandon Walsh. <laughs> But uh, he said he's a great guy, but oh, good. I think I think he like directs stuff and produces stuff. But researching my Christmas book, there was a Canadian Christmas special hosted by Dave Foley from um, uh, from kids, kids, in the hall? kids in the hall. And it was it was like a 
a spoof of Christmas specials called the true meaning of Christmas specials. And I mean, this is like 20 years ago, but Jason Priestley played like a beach bum burnout kind of guy. And it was funny. And he, he played like, you know, a guy was like, Hey, brah, what's up? What's up? (laughs) And he was, he was good in it, but it was, it was a comedy special um, hosted by Dave Foley for like the, the uh, CBC. Okay. Oh, I need to watch this. I've it's on YouTube. It. Yeah, it's okay. kind of cool. The but true it, meaning of Christmas the, specials. The, yeah, it's it's a like a spoof of Christmas specials. But that's the only acting thing I remember. But I think he's a big uh, director and producer of stuff now. Now, I saw Jason Priestley, I think, last. He cameoed as himself on an episode of How I Met Your Mother, where we flash back to Robin Sparkle's bad girl phase, where she was just basically <laughs> Alanis Morissette. <laughs> So uh, here's a tough one. And when's the last time you saw Gabrielle Carteris? So I see her every once in a while in the news because she's the SAG president. Oh, that's right. She's well, like former when, president now. But yeah, oh, for a maybe good five years. But like you would hear negotiations and it would be like, is that Andrea? Uh, I'm sorry. Andrea Zuckerman. Andrea. Is she? But um, I, I believe after she left the show. I believe she had a short-lived talk show competing with the Ricky Lakes and Sally Jesse Raphael's of the world. Really? I think she had something called Gabby or Gabrielle, but I don't remember her acting ever again. No, I know she's done some voice acting roles. So I remember watching a few episodes of Batman, the Brave and the Bold, where she was the voice of Vicky Vale. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, that's right. She was a SAG after... uh, president for for five years i think a good run yeah uh and last i i think we might have a match with this answer but when was the last time you saw ian zeering sharknado that's right like how many have they done like four or five now uh, i think six actually wow but his name in those movies i'm not making this up is finn shepherd that's finn with one n i saw the first maybe i saw the second one but I liked it for its campiness. Yeah. Because you knew what you were getting into. Exactly. But I never thought of the fact that his name was Finn with one N. I did immediately just because like, I get it. They just as as all in as they went on that. I think it just like, of course, his name is Finn. <laughs> Sharknado. He's oh, Shark man. <laughs> wow. So, all right. We've met everyone. Clarence the Angel is quick to note they don't seem to have any problems in need of divine intervention. And Miriam reveals what we've been watching is actually from a few days earlier. But presently, most of these kids are on a school bus with the Madrigal Singers, and our heroes are all looking super mopey. Oh no, not a case of sad teenagers at Christmas! But it's not that. The gang is apparently about to be in grave danger. But to convince Clarence and, frankly, us, why they're worthy of divine intervention, we have to flash back again two days earlier. So we're back in the Blazes newsroom where Andrea gets a phone call at school from her grandmother, who says a letter arrived from Yale University. Because for every high school senior with the holiday season comes the additional stress of college acceptance mailings. But grandma lets her know. This is a thin envelope. It's a thin envelope. Now, my memory's a bit hazy, but don't schools send out just the acceptance letter first 
And if you commit, then they send the big welcome package. Um, to be honest, I think it was I got a a thick one, like a big like that included a magazine or, you know, some sort of pamphlet. So I, I think there was something because I'm similar age to them. I think it was. Did you get the thin envelope, the, the thick envelope? OK, yeah, I only remember the one big thick envelope because that's the one I paid actual attention to. So maybe that's it. I also remember that grandmothers aren't supposed to distract you at school by telling you, hey, by the way, you got something, but it probably stinks. <laughs> like, right. Grandma, like, just let her come home and find out herself. What value was that to let her know, hey, you got an answer, but probably isn't good. Now you got to wait for the rest of the day. She doesn't. She goes right home. But before that, that's not the weird part. The weird part is the wager that their teacher Gil makes with Brandon. I bet they just took one look at her application and said, reject. I'll bet you she got <laughs> accepted. How much? So let me let me tell you a little bit about Gil for somebody who who watched the show religiously. So Gil was. Obviously, he was the cool teacher that let you call him by his first name. Yes. But then his coolness, like a couple episodes later, he got accused of uh, some inappropriate behavior by Scott Scanlon's younger sister, Sue Scanlon. Oh, shocker. And I believe he resigned because of it. And it was like, well, he didn't do something inappropriate, but he he had to step down because it wouldn't look good for the school or something like that. But yeah. So the, one of the episodes you remember Scott Scanlon, his younger sister. Okay. They, they needed to add a storyline. So they're like, Oh yeah, he had a younger sister and uh, she's going to take out uh, good old Gil. Well, (laughs) Gil Myers played by Mark Keeley. The only other thing I've seen him in was a later season of 24. He's a Secret Service agent who gets stabbed to death by Jack Bauer. Oh, wow. I, I assume he didn't have the beard because they took care of that in this episode. He did not. No, mo- uh, <laughs> most of the things I've seen him in when I was looking up, who's this guy? What have I seen him in? He's he's clean shaven. So the beard is very much a Gilmire <laughs> staple up until this episode. But. Because he bets against Andrea getting into Yale. It's it at first you're thinking, oh, he's just busting chops, but like he goes ahead with a full wager on her not getting into Yale and like she's gonna be a failure. And I'm not really sure. It wasn't like it wasn't like he was trying to motivate her or something. He he legit bet on her failure. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought he was just busting her chops at the beginning. And then he's like, how much you want to bet? Well, wait a minute, teach. Right. <laughs> he wagered his beard. He on wagered it. his beard. Well, he didn't. He uh, it was a Andrea put the beard up because Brandon decides to accompany Andrea home immediately to find out what's in the letter. And of course, she got into Yale. <laughs> But spoiler alert, she doesn't actually end up going at first, I I found out. No. Because her grandmother got sick, tuition's too high. She instead goes to the fictional California University. The CU Condors. That's right. But was it her grandmother got sick or because they had to continue the show and they wanted everybody still going to the same school? I mean, that's the real answer. (laughs) (laughs) 
But she does end up transferring to Yale later, I read. So happy ending. Yeah, when they, when they were done with her. Yeah. But her wave of happiness now is short-lived because the next letter Andrea opens is from her long-distance boyfriend, Jay, who breaks up with her via letter. I mean, that was the ultimate sign that we are dealing with in an earlier era that letters still exist. I think emails had started by then, but yeah, I guess there are letters, but I think her, I mean, it feels like little house on the prairie that he was (laughs) writing a letter to to let her know he was breaking up. I'm pretty sure there was email then. Uh, It's probably really early though. I mean, I remember I got dumped by letter once when I was 16. Wow. (laughs) Never saw her again, but (laughs) well, I mean, I, I guess it, keeps you from having the awkward conversation but uh but her boyfriend jay he was at northwestern he left i i guess he graduated a year earlier but like there was friction between him and brandon yeah but good old jay he was p- played by uh the, the guy from six feet under peter kraus oh i did see that yes he was uh you know the non-dexter brother from mm-hmm. six feet under um but yeah, he was he and Brandon were butting heads over Andrea, who Brandon never actually wanted to be with Andrea, but he would get jealous of her boyfriends. I think she had a couple different boyfriends that Jan Brandon had problems with. And it was a weird thing that they kept writing in, even though Brandon clearly was not into Andrea. Really? That's a weird thing. I guess they were trying to build up to what later happens here yes. and then it just kind of fizzles but yes well and speaking of brandon we cut to the walsh residence where he and brenda he tells brenda all about how he never liked jay and always knew he was wrong for andrea only for his own parents to call him out for just being jealous you know i always just knew that he was wrong for andrea of course i never said anything because i didn't want to seem like i was being jealous bitter petty thank you family for my Warm holiday character profile. But he had he had a girlfriend of his own for a while. That's right. And you know, you know her. I do. We are going to talk about her in a bit. But first, let's uh, let's meet the parents. Mr. Walsh is played by James Eckhouse, who's very much a hey, it's the dad from 90210 whenever I see him in movies. So the other day I happened to see on TV was a um, what's the the rabbit? Oh, uh, Fatal Attraction. Oh, wow. And he bumped somebody at a Christmas party. And I was like, that's Jim Walsh. Yeah. And then um, when uh, Eddie Murphy in Trading Places yep. is in the jail cell, they say, Valentine, you made bail. That's he's Jim the Walsh. guard. Yeah. Yeah. He worked a ton. He did. Yeah. He did. He's got a small role in big. Uh, he's at the end of the first Avengers movie. Really? He's the senator who first calls for regulation of superpowered individuals. So he kind of helps set up civil war by accident. <laughs> Good for you, Jim. Yeah. Uh, and Mrs. Walsh is a familiar face. It's Carol Potter, who also played the mother of Kimberly, the pink Power Ranger. <laughs> Dare to dream, Carol Potter. That's right. Uh, <laughs> they're all decorating the tree. And later, Kelly and Dylan show up and want to help as well before they go upstairs to study with Brenda. And here's where the angels chime in again so we don't forget they're there. 
And now Clarence is starting to show interest in Kelly. He's like, tell me about the blonde. She has something good going with the guy with the sideburns. So, Mike, if you were to tune in right around now and you just heard a voiceover, tell me about the blonde. You'd be like, what is going on here? What is happening? (laughs) I've watched this show for three seasons. What is happening? That's what was going on for me. That's got to be so bizarre. (laughs) And Miriam briefly mentions it's more of a triangle thing also involving Brenda. But before we get into those steamy details, it's back to school the next day because Gil's got to pay up after losing that bet against his own student. And here we, we watch him shave off his ginger beard. He's going with the old school scissors and straight razor method, which, yeah, he seems the type. Yeah, who's using scissors? I mean, it wasn't uh, a show set in 1945. Like there were clippers, there were there were reasons for this guy to to cut and he just uses scissors because yeah, he's the English teacher. It's... Oh yeah. He's teach he's t- teaching about the Bronte sisters, so he's got to cut <laughs> right. from their era. Yes. Now, I've exclusively used electric razors my entire beard growing life because that's what my dad always used. But here's Gil going back like 80 years just because he can. But no, Norelco Sand has been very good to my family. And David's even here to film the shaving. And Donna's there. I don't know why, but she is. Uh, And she notices David's been unusually quiet, and he admits he's upset now. Well, Andre's the first, but everyone will be getting into their colleges and... I'll be left here by myself in high school. And here comes the sad Casio keyboard music. This is the problem because they the show starts, the pilot, it's David and Scott Scanlon. Mm-hmm. And then he wants so badly to be a part of the popular crew that is the sophomores that we all know. And then... They realized, well, we don't need Scott Scanlon. (laughs) And so they take him out and David (laughs) becomes friends with them. But then they had the problem where, oh, but everybody's going to graduate and go to college. So what are we going to do with David? And this was the episode where it came to a head. Ah, and then they they don't really address it again, except for like, hey, everybody's graduating and David's part of it. So this was the episode that they had to be like. Yeah, we have to explain why we had this guy be a freshman and everybody else was a sophomore. (laughs) So this was it. Oh, great way to tie that loose end. (laughs) But first, the sad keyboard music, which continues as Brandon makes a comment about Jada Andrea, who asks if he wants to go to movie with her. But it turns out the other half of Brandon's own relationship, Nikki, is back in town after spending Thanksgiving with her parents in San Francisco. And she and Brandon have some catching up to do. And we cut to Brandon catching up with Nikki. (laughs) Played by Dana Barron, the original Audrey Griswold in National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, Audrey, uh, Audrey Griswold, like she had like a few episodes with as Brandon's girlfriend. And there was some drama, one or two episodes with Dana Barron's ex-boyfriend, Snake. I believe Snake. It was played by David Arquette. David oh, wow. Arquette was the was the dangerous ex. So, <laughs> so at one point, Jason Priestley and David Arquette. And I'm sorry, I'm getting like super 902 and 0 nerdy. It's okay. But yeah. 
I forgot David Arquette was in 90210. Oh, I remember him too with the what did did he wear like a bandana or something? Yeah, it was he was he was brooding. Like he was over a brooding a, Arquette. A brooding, yeah. Oh goodness. So Brandon and Nikki are catching up on his twin bed, and mom walks in on them, very apologetic about it. Uh, but Nikki quickly gets up, walks into the bathroom mortified. Uh, where Brandon's eager to continue catching up, but it turns out we're about to witness another poorly timed breakup. <laughs> oh, man. I had to come back and get my stuff. See you again. And say thank you. Wish you Merry Christmas. But it was weird. She was, there was no indication that things were going to end when Carol Par- Potter walked walked into the room no <laughs> she walks in and she's like yeah Oops, that's sorry. a reminder by the way brandon you're out <laughs> <laughs> she dumps him right after that oh dear yeah no so things went well enough at nikki's parents house over thanksgiving that she's moving back in with them she had been staying with her aunt and uncle in beverly hills and now she's moving back home but doesn't want to be in a long distance relationship uh, but unlike Jay, she at least has the decency to break up with Brandon in person after making out with him. Yeah, I I also uh, noticed I I rewatched it the other day and I looked when um, Brandon goes into his room and like kind of reveals to his sister. I just got dumped. They're sulking on the on the bed together talking. And I looked in the background of uh, above Brandon's bed is a picture of generic football pictures and the poster says football <laughs> sports football, sports sports like hey what what are you a fan of brandon <laughs> oh yeah i'm a fan of football slash sports you know <laughs> i kind of want that poster now that's it's it's so terrible that it might be the best poster and i was thinking <laughs> like i would like maybe a sweatshirt and people like who are you cheering for him I'm cheering for football, football sports, sports, you know, <laughs> my favorite football team, the sports. That was amazing. Uh, and right about here, it's time to check in with the angels quickly before we go to commercial. Clarence says, eh, he'll be fine. I'll have plenty of girlfriends. And Miriam just replies, not if he gets on that bus. But we, we've already seen a, a clip. We had seen a clip of kids on a bus. Yeah. And he's on the bus. So we knew that. And it's like, well, well, why? Why are you telling us he better not get on the bus when we already know they're on the bus? That's a weird way to cut to that commercial. But I guess they needed to dump out. I don't know. Was he in that first scene? I know we saw some of them on the bus. I know Andrea was in the front there. But I think we saw everybody on the bus. Like just a quick pan through the it was all all of the singers packed tightly together because they all had to share seats. And then all of the main characters spread out with like two seats distance between all of them. Yeah, they all get their own seat to themselves in the back. And the poor singers, the poor, the poor 35 year old singers who probably some of them had bad knees. They're all crammed together. Yeah, like two, three to a seat up in the front, <laughs> happily singing away. Yeah. Well, he'll be OK. There's a lot of fish in the sea. He'll have plenty of girlfriends. Not if he gets on that bus. When you have a taste for the holidays, you want a soft drink that tastes like the holidays. 
You want the crisp, clean choice that's everyone's favorite icebreaker. 7-Up, the Uncola. Because you never know who might drop in. Stop by the Winter Wonderland for holiday savings on all 7-Up products. And make the season bright. And back from commercial, Brenda is joining a moping Brandon in his room with her own grievances to air. Hers are apparently with Kelly and Dylan. So now we have to catch up with that story. Uh, starting in the Peach Pit Diner, <laughs> where Kelly and Brenda tell Dylan their friendship is in danger because they both love him and find him very attractive and very sexy. And suddenly they have Clarence the Angel from Brooklyn's undivided attention. <laughs> yeah, he gets a little too into this storyline. He does. Has this problem ever happened in the history of high school? No. 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 Absolutely not. No. Maybe this is only a thing in high schools where the students are all actually in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> but it turns out the girls think they need to cool off and try being friends without benefits for a while. Uh, and Dylan rather reluctantly agrees. And we skip ahead back to when they showed up at Brenda's house to study. It's something involving Shakespeare. I was never very good at studying in groups with other people. So they look about as productive as I would be. Right. Yeah, I I I think I only tried to study with someone else once. And unfortunately, it didn't involve like hooking up, but it was no. but it involved like distractions. And then I was like, yeah, if I really need to study, I can't I can't do this with other people. No, absolutely not. Uh, Kelly leaves for a minute to go grab a soda, which is weird because it's not her house. <laughs> You want anything? I'm going to go get something from your fridge. Yeah, I'm going to go raid your fridge. Goes downstairs and we find Brandon and his parents watching the actual It's a Wonderful Life on a much smaller TV I would expect to find in a house in Beverly Hills, but whatever. But they were they they tried to balance that these were the the bluish collar family living in Beverly Hills. That's true. But they're living in Beverly Hills, yeah. which means you know, if if the dad was transferred to L.A. and they didn't quite have enough money, they wouldn't live in Beverly Hills. No. So Jim Walsh was getting paid. Yeah. Like Jim Walsh had a big time job as an accountant to the stars or whatever it was. Sure. But that was the weird thing. They would try to they they would give them this really nice home in a nice neighborhood, but then give them a small TV to be like, these are humble Minnesota people. Spend it all on the house. <laughs> Not getting a new TV. You don't even get one in your room, kids. I can't spend an extra hundred dollars. No, absolutely not. I already spent a hundred dollars on Brandon's sports <laughs> poster. <laughs> uh, here we get a joke from our Clarence. It's a wonderful life. Never heard of it. Me either. Oh, that's right. And Kelly uh, uh, confuses. Jimmy Stewart for Cary Grant. <laughs> yes. Well, Cary Grant is so amazing in this. Yes. Only it's Jimmy Stewart. Without a beat, Jim replies with that. Uh, but it's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. But, uh, I also need to give a shout out to the Walsh's little ceramic Christmas tree with the light up bulbs. I love those things. <laughs> those are sweet. Uh, my parents had one for as long as I can remember, and I'm happy to see them coming back as a retro thing now. We had one. And I remember asking my mom, like, after I didn't see it for a while, like, it was like in the corner of a random room. I asked what happened to it. And she was like, 
I don't remember that. And I was thinking like, what? That was that was a big part of my childhood. But <laughs> right. yeah, that little like corner ceramic bulb tree. But I don't know. It disappeared somehow between my 902 and 0 years and adulthood. Yeah, I might need to get one of my own now that my kids are old enough to be trusted not to break it. Yeah. So we go back upstairs with Brenda and Dylan, who are now alone in her room. And whoops, so much for that cooling off period. They start hooking up and catch themselves and apologize to each other before Kelly even comes back. So I guess they decide she doesn't need to know that happened. And this kiss is the thumbnail for the episode on Paramount Plus, by the way. Nothing festive, nothing to make this episode stand out at all. <laughs> that could be the thumbnail to any other episode of this show. I, I watched I think I watched this on Hulu and there was some sort of I think it might have involved the Christmas tree or something. OK. Yeah. So Paramount knows what what its viewers want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so now we're back at the peach pit the next day. And the first thing I notice is Kelly is talking about David while David is at the table right behind them <laughs> in normal TV volume. Mike, he's he's an underclassman. He can't hear what's going on in the upper class. Oh, I guess not. Hey, did you hear David's mom is moving to Portland? What? No, of course he can't hear us. But I'm going to walk 10 feet over to their table to check on him. I'll be right back. So while she's gone and by gone again, I mean, just over there a bit. Uh, Brenda and Dylan decide it's best not to mention anything about the night before. When Kelly comes back with David and Donna. David says because of his abrupt move coming up, he doesn't think he's going to be up to videotaping their event at the elementary school tomorrow. Yeah. Haven't you been ever been bummed out enough that you can't point a camera? No. <laughs> I wish I had a camera when I was his age to point. Yeah. No, he, he was living. He was living a fast life. Yeah, as, I mean, as the underclassman. Sure. I only get to borrow dad's big giant camera so often. Didn't have my own. I mean, I did for a while, but it was this junky little thing that, oh, it was so bad quality that I ended up returning it because I hated it so much. <laughs> uh, so then Brenda and Kelly try to convince Dylan to dress up as Santa Claus for this event. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. And then I did a very quick Google image search to see if Luke Perry has ever dressed up as Santa for anything. But what I found was a shot from the season five episode, Christmas Comes This Time Each Year, in which everyone except Dylan is dressed as Santa. So in that episode, Andrea has since uh, gotten pregnant by... Uh, Jesse Vasquez in college and she has a baby and they're going through a tough time. And then the 90210 gang shows up with presents in Santa costumes and Dylan's the last to arrive. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, the thumbnail is him holding the baby and even the baby is in a little Santa suit, but not Dylan. No, he's too cool. Absolutely. So back to this, Brenda and Donna have to go take care of some details for tomorrow's trip with Brenda telling Kelly to work on Dylan about that Santa thing. So we head with those two to Dylan's place, where Kelly says she promised she'd do whatever it takes to get him to play Santa. And now it's their turn to forget about their makeout hiatus. Uh, much much like Brandon's uh, football sports poster, Dylan over his fireplace has a pennant that just says California, but it's not like 
in the colors of Cal Berkeley and I looked it up. It's not the colors of the California University Condors. He just has a pennant like celebrating the state he's in. (laughs) He's just like, I mean, I'm all for people being proud of where they're from. But like Dylan is so into it that he's like, you know what? I just got to let the world know I'm proud of where I live in the the place I live. Yes, I live here. Yay. (laughs) Go California. Uh, perfectly timed pause in the action here as Clarence chimes in with a uh-oh, and Miriam comes to their defense here. Miriam, the angel of the Lord in training, tells us nothing might have come of it had Brenda not decided to pick that moment to show up with the Santa suit, and surprise! Once again, this show is more entertaining when it's not relatable. I have no idea what it feels like to get caught kissing your platonic friend by your other platonic friend in high school. I mean, I, I got to admit, I probably imagined that I would be into this, these sort of hijinks, yeah, just probably. like the first time <laughs> when I saw when I saw the movie Teen Wolf, when I was a kid, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that these high school parties are about to go crazy, but it never quite worked out the way I expected. No, they keep forgetting the little minor detail that none of us can drive anywhere for half of it. <laughs> yeah. I also didn't look like I was 30 when I was in high school. I had the opposite problem. I looked like I was 10. <laughs> that hurts. It, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I really expected to have a much, much more uh, fulfilled life based on the things I was watching. But no, I was sure. I was very much just a kid. Yep. Brandon, it just happened. Oh, like it just happened with me yesterday. What? And Oops. And now Dylan is suddenly very interested in trying on that Santa suit. Right. A lot of backpedaling by Dylan. Yes. Uh, and while they continue arguing, Brenda snaps and tells him to take off the suit. He looks ridiculous. Well, that's what he said. So at least he got out of that. But it also looks like he got out of the love triangle altogether as both Brenda and Kelly leave angrily. And that brings us to the day of their school visit. And Brenda is still super angry at both Dylan and Kelly to the point where she storms up to Donna and tells them that Dylan and Kelly can't go to the elementary school. She says, well, wait, you can't just decide that at the last minute. Brenda, you know that's not the way it works. Besides, who's going to be Santa? Fine, if you think those two are more valuable than me, just cross my name off the list. Brenda! And what follows is everyone else backing out on Donna at the last minute with some lame excuse as to why they suddenly can't go today. So, Ed, I will ask you, whose excuse is the worst? I mean, the absolute worst is David's. Yes. Because he's essentially telling his girlfriend that he's been dating for two years that I'm not going to do the thing that you need for the thing that you're in charge of because. I'm feeling blue that we were born in different years. <laughs> right. I mean, everything else is pretty lame, but this is like, if nothing else, this is your girlfriend. You're going to, you're going to do something because she wants it to be done and you're not a monster. And he's like, yeah, I just, I just can't hold this video camera because I'm sad that I realized that we were in different years. Yeah. Well, first he says, he's still saying, I don't, feel up to it because I'm moving. Then he goes, if if I'm not going to tape it, there's no reason to even be there at all. And then 
then when Donna says, but I need you, he doubles down with, oh, well, this is a senior <laughs> class thing, so I'm out. He's the worst here. Yeah, I mean, in, in this, it, it's debatable who's likable on this show ever. <laughs> but when I when I was revisiting this and writing about it for my book, I was saying there's really only one. I mean, Donna's Donna, I guess, is likable. But like Steve, the one who's not allowed to go is the only one who's kind of excuse. His behavior is excusable. He's yes. not going to show up because it's like he's not allowed to. But he was always a fun loving guy. And his problem was somebody gave him the legacy key. But everyone else, they're they're very like weak manufactured reasons for, oh, well, we're, we're in a love triangle, so we can't help our friend do a Christmas party. There, it, it, There's no valid excuse across the board. No, Steve's the only one with a legit excuse. A uh, quick rundown of everyone else's dumb excuses. Dylan says the Santa suit looked bad and he doesn't feel like, quote, playing white knight to some underprivileged kids for one day. Yeah. That might be the worst excuse. So you don't like how you look for underprivileged kids? Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, Kelly doesn't want to share a bus with Brenda or Dylan, despite Donna telling her, well, they both already canceled. Kelly still nopes out of there. Yeah. Uh, Andrea suddenly tells Donna she needs time apart with Brandon. Okay, that's new. We'll get back to that in a minute. Speaking of Brandon, he's the last one to tell Donna... The last couple of days have been really tough for him, and he's really not in a festive mood. Also super lame, but not David Lane. Uh, and then he tries to say Gil would let him off the hook. Gil's not in charge of this event. Yeah. All we know about Gil is he lets you call him by his first name. Yeah. And he, sh- he cuts his beard because he bets against students. Right. Uh, but who is in charge of this event is Vice Principal Teasley. If you had given us sufficient notice, perhaps your spaces on the bus could have been filled from the long waiting list of students who would have been happy to join us at the Alvarado Street School today. But at this point, unless you have a note from your doctor saying that you have pneumonia, and I want to see that chest x-ray, I expect to see each and every one of your smiling faces on that bus. Played by Denise Douse, who was also the vice principal on the show California Dreams. Wow. I I couldn't think of anything she was in, but I have a sad future note for for Mrs. Teasley. Oh no, not well. Maybe not that sad. She 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 lived through the rest of the show. No, oh, well that's. But cool. when Donna, in the I believe the last season, was getting married to David. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, she had a bachelorette party, and because there were no core characters. Mrs. Teasley was one of like five people invited to the bachelorette party. Oh, wow. Hey, I'm still here. Sure. (laughs) Come on over. Remember the person that tried to not let you graduate because you got drunk at the prom? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I know she was in California Dreams and was the health teacher in the movie Pleasantville. Oh, okay. That's a good movie. Uh, Here, Mrs. Teasley rightfully tells not only Brandon, but the rest of them as well that they didn't give sufficient enough notice that they suddenly can't make this trip that's leaving in a half hour. So suck it up and get on the bus. She gives him a dressing down like it's a full metal jacket when she lines them all up. Like they're all lined up military style. She's I was half expecting her to say, what is your major malfunction? Right. She's like walking 
past the line of them. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very deliberately cut like that, and I enjoyed that as well. <laughs> uh, so that catches us up, right? No, no, wait. Remember how Andrea suddenly needs time apart from Brandon out of nowhere? Clarence remembers. So even Miriam starts, so now I've brought you up to date, and Clarence interrupts, in the most 1992 response. So now that I brought you up to date. Not. <laughs> so we've got to rewind back to right after Nikki broke up with Brandon. He headed over to the peach pit to go complain about women. Am I right? Uh, to whoever will listen to him. And that whoever in this case happens to be the peach pits owner, Nat, while he's grilling burgers. I must have bad relationship karma or something. Oh, come on, Brendan. Girls throw themselves at you all the time. Nat is played by Joe E. Tata, who is very much known for this. But before this, he showed up as several one-off characters in shows like The Rockford Files, Lost in Space, and the 1960s Batman. When you had problems in high school, didn't you usually go to the, the, guy, the cook at the local diner to complain about things? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, I also <laughs> am from New Jersey, but I didn't go to the diner that often to complain about girls. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in I, I live in New Jersey now and I I tell my boys, if you have problems, don't come to me. Go to the go to the, go to the local <laughs> chef at the diner. He's all ears. Uh, well, that tells Brandon, another girl will come along soon and right on cue in walks Andrea and Nat gives Brandon the old. <clears throat> Uh, and Brandon asks Andrea if she wants to catch a flick now. But she's got to babysit that night, but she invites him over to keep her company if he wants. And for a second, we actually see Brandon lose a piece of his free will. You can keep me company if you want. Nice house, big screen TV. Sure, what the hell? Hey, watch your mouth, kid. Heck, I mean, what the heck? <laughs> Followed by a very confused look on his face. That's a little disturbing. Sure. But I mean, that 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 was the, the comedy elements sprinkled into the episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Early Fox comedy, folks. So we cut to the house where Andrea's babysitting. She just put the kid to sleep. She joins Brandon on the couch to watch. Of course, it's a wonderful life again. The movie all high schoolers in this universe absolutely love. <laughs> Did you ever have this sort of, oh, I love this movie reaction to It's a Wonderful Life when you were in high school? Yeah, I I was aware because there was some channel that would show it like nonstop in December, but I, right. I wasn't sure what was going on and I would kind of resist it in high school. And I'm similar age to the 90210 gang and I would see parts of it, but I don't think I saw it in full. Until it be, it got like the NBC treatment in the mid, like maybe late 90s. OK. And then I was like, oh, all right, it is a good movie. But I remember thinking as a high school kid, like, what is this movie that they're constantly showing this black and white movie? Like I, I, I and I was similar age to the 90210 people. I, I resisted it actively. Yeah, I remember it being on a lot over December. I don't know if it would be on two nights in a row like this episode, but there was one channel that would just put it on like, oh, okay. I don't know, like every I mean, the the 
the whole backstory is like there was a license issue and so they could just play it nonstop. Yeah, they they forgot to renew the copyright and it fell into public domain. So everybody's like, all right, we got some uh, Christmas programming now. So there was one like New York area rerun channel that just would put it on channel 11. Channel 11. Yeah, a lot. So, yeah, I, I would see parts of it, but like certainly there's no high school kid who's like, yeah, I stop what you're doing. I there's a black and white movie I have to see right now. Oh, I love this. Yes. They watch the whole thing. They <laughs> fade forward to the end of the movie and the old every time a bell rings, the angel gets his wings and making sure to include the attaboy Clarence. But but as a as a lover of 90210. We, we I, I would like to point out, like, they could have done something cool. There have been a million shows and movies that rip off the uh, It's a Wonderful Life thing. Yeah. But, but if they said, OK, this is what would happen if Brandon Walsh was never born or the, the Walsh family never moved to, to Beverly Hills. And then they show like how Dylan and Kelly's life would be different. At least they would do an interesting take on 90210. Instead, they like just copied Clarence and Angels talking about them, but they didn't actually do anything. And that's it. No. And even here, Andrea says she doesn't know how her life would have turned out if the Walshes hadn't moved to Beverly Hills. So show it. There's your jumping point. The, the writers had it in their heads that like, yeah, what would happen if you didn't live here? But then they just never carried it out. They just no. were lazy. No, they just turned that into noting how jealous Brandon was of Jay. And that leads into a wistful timing is everything. And it sure is. And now they're kissing for a bit till they stop and accuse each other of thinking of their recent exes while doing so, which weird, but also neither denies it. So Andrea, this is season three, I believe. Yes. Andrea, the only thing we know about her besides her being uh, seemingly like a 38-year-old and mother, <laughs> is she loves Brandon and like has a very, um, very aggressive interest in Brandon. So the fact that he's kissing her here is, is the dream come true right. since he got there. And she's the one who cuts it off and is like, hey, why are you kissing me in my vulnerable state? And yeah, I mean, that that is the type of thing a 38 year old woman would do, <laughs> but but not according to the show, a 16 year old who has been in love with the guy since they were 14. Yeah, that surprised me knowing what I remember from her. I'm just like, wait a minute, yeah. man. Yeah. Like maybe she would think about it after the fact, but right away. Right. She loved Brandon. Yeah. So now they're mad at each other. And now we're back on the bus, all caught up on why our main cast is all sulking and looking out the window, sitting as far apart from each other as they can on a moving bus. While while the singers are crammed together. While the singers are crammed together. Uh, And Miriam finally gets to explain what the emergency is. It's that the bus is in danger of being hit by a truck. Uh, But Clarence interrupts again because he's not a very good listener. Which I guess is why she just reround time itself to show him what all the kids' deals were instead of just trying to explain it. And Clarence says he took care of the truck and rerouted it. Apparently a very complicated maneuver that can only be done once per catastrophe. 
You have absolute power, but just once. Just once. It's on like a timer thing. Like a like a video game potion or something. It's like a star in Mario Brothers. But, uh, <laughs> thankfully, Craig Clemens and his truck are far away on the 405. But oops, it's not Craig Clemens who's going to crash into the bus. It's Greg Clemens with a G. <laughs> so when they when they have all knowing power, they still use the phone book and and sometimes get <laughs> yeah. get the word the names wrong. Oh, sorry, I had something stuck in my non-existent <laughs> ear because I'm a floating star. <laughs> uh, and we get a look at Greg Clemens, who's driving a big garbage trunk rather erratically while drinking. Yeah, it looks like. Uh, Kind of a fifth of Jack Daniels or Wild Turkey, something. But he's in a paper bag. For for effect, they give him the paper bag and they're having him slug it wildly. Yeah. Which if he was drinking, if he was drinking at that pace, the, the bottle would have already been done. But he was in every scene. He's slugging, slugging. Sure. Every time we zoom into the truck cabin, he's taking a sip of it. Miraculously doesn't drop and break it, but. If you recall, not all our heroes are in grave danger, and we cut to the Alvarado Street Elementary School to find Steve pull up in his car. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure what time it's supposed to be in the day. I thought this was during the school day trip. Did Steve just ditch school to be there? Yeah, I mean, after all, he's in big trouble who he's on his last chance, and if he... he, uh... He breaks anything he's getting expelled from school, but yet he just got in his um, his Corvette with the license plate IATA 4R. <laughs> yes. He, he just took off from school and then he's like, I'm a little worried Mrs. Teasley won't 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 let me hear. But yet he ditched school to get there. Yeah. So. He's the MVP of this episode. Must have noticed how upset Donna was that he decided to meet them there. Uh, Gil is also there. Newly clean shaven. Man, I prefer the beard. Yeah. But a bet's a bet. Yeah, he's he's a bit jarring without the beard. Yeah. Uh, And he's wondering where the bus is. I guess everyone trying to flake out held it up a bit. And that's where we run into trouble. Even Clarence says it's the kid's fault the bus ran late. And he has to let destiny run its course here because his one per catastrophe miracle is run out. Despite Miriam's pleas to try asking upstairs to intervene. Then we get treated to the gang on the bus bickering at each other, all while the choir continues to sing in the background in their cramped seats up front. Incessantly. I mean, but maybe they're justified in that they want to taunt the popular gang because they've made them sit crammed into like two rows where they're all spread out. So they're like, all right, we're going to sing really loud and add to their tensions. Yes. To the original lyrics to deck the hall. That's all singular. Are those people ever going to quit singing? I happen to like the singing. You would. Why are you always picking on her? Why don't you stay out of it? Did you notice the difference there? No, of all the times I watched this, I didn't realize they had messed up the song. I'm so creeped up by their age. Oh, they didn't. It's it's the original lyrics from 1862. Well, I mean, if you're a high school kid in Beverly Hills, 
you want to you want to stick to the original. Yeah, you got to go classic. Uh, the most notable difference in the lyrics is the second half of the first verse. It goes, "Fill the mead cup, drain the barrel, troll the ancient Christmas carol." Wow. So that's why they changed it. Did want a drinking song at Christmas all of a sudden at some point within those hundred and fifty <laughs> years or whatever. But then finally, the choir takes a break from singing, and that's Donna's cue to head to the back of the bus to tell her friends to knock it off. If there's one day out of this whole year to stop thinking about ourselves, then this is it. And regardless of who gets to wear the red suit, this is a time to be jolly and loving and generous, not cynical and moody and petty. And if you guys can't stop and appreciate all of the positive things you have in your life, just how lucky that you are to be here. You might as well get off the bus right now. And here comes more sad keyboard music as everyone stops and thinks about what they've done. <laughs> and they all sort of apologize without actually apologizing. I mean, I, I'm on this show because I believe in the spirit of Christmas and everything. But a bold statement from Donna saying this is the one time of year you got to come together when we know it's her birthday. That's Christmas. Hey, yeah. So- <laughs> She's she's a little more motivated than others for selfish mm. reasons. <laughs> Didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. Well, David's the first to cave and he tells Donna to he brought his camera after all if the choir wants to keep singing and break time's over singers. <laughs> but whatever, they're about to get hit by that garbage truck. And for the next Oh, it's actually only about two minutes or so, but it feels a lot longer than that, that we watch and wait as we switch between the bus and the drunk garbage truck driver head towards each other. But he takes a swig every time. Yes. And neither is driving particularly fast. And also, Steve notices it way sooner than he should have. Yeah, the timing's way off there. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Maybe what they're trying to tell us is Steve Sanders has x-ray vision because he could see through buildings because he's like, wait a second, they're going the wrong way. Right. And then you see the cut back and forth for like two minutes. And I I don't know when I'm sitting in a playground, I can't quite see outside of a one block or half block radius. Well, the way this was shot at first, I thought the bus and the truck were driving toward each other. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But these they're about to t- get T-boned by the 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 wild turkey drinking uh, garbage truck driver who has like 20 handles in the truck, too. There's like lots of handles. Yeah. In in the cab of the truck. <laughs> but which makes Steve's being able to see the truck going the wrong way even more miraculous is that they're not even on the same road going toward each other. They're about the T-bone. That's right. That's right. And then we hear Clarence nervously count down from 10. And then... Three, two, one! The truck sort of phases right through the bus with some 1992 Back to the Future looking lightning effect. Yes. Yeah, that was that was clearly a dr- director's dream to... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me let me do that. I, I, I got this. I got this. And then he he went full on uh, 1985 effects. Yes. As the truck just drives right through solid matter like it's a kitty pride bus. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. 
because it's just so silly. But but fine. It's fine. I'm glad it's here. Well, I remember and, you know, back to the when I first watched this, I remember they said something like the Beverly Hills gang could be in trouble on the like the the teaser trailer. Oh, and you're thinking, well, they're not going to T-bone the entire gang. And (laughs) who survives? And if they are, is there any chance they're going to get rid of one the biggest bummer on the cast, Andrea? But ooh, but no, everybody, everybody was fine, and yeah, all confused looks on their face. We never do see what happens to poor drunk Greg Clemens. Don't the kids on the bus like feel a little shimmy that something something's going on? And it's like, yeah, they all have very confused looks on their face, like something just happened, but. They're not sure what. And do you think um, the the little intervention of letting them go through? Do you think Greg Clemens just plows into the next car? Because he was. Oh, if he didn't crash into the bus, it would be a whole other miracle if he doesn't crash into anything else. Yeah, he wasn't riding the brake or anything like he's about to hit something else. Yeah, no, the angels never said anything about saving him. <laughs> Miriam asked Clarence how he did that, but he didn't do anything. You mean it was a higher power? Wow. I'm kind of worried about the fact that neither of these angels want to refer to their boss by name. (laughs) He's a higher power who works upstairs, but that's all we get. Right. And again, they're not cared about. They're they're completely unconcerned about Greg Clemens. No, not at all. It's just yeah, he's somebody else's problem. Yeah, uh, what what did she say? Like on his way to eternity, I believe is the words that she used. Well, got a new neighbor soon up there, guys. But <laughs> maybe he'll get his wings. Maybe here's hoping. Uh, but the bus safely parks right behind Steve's convertible, and the kids of the elementary school excitedly rush to greet the West Beverly High group, and out they come with a box full of presents. And Gil notably remarks, somebody up there must really like you. Uh, but Andrea replies, the one they really ought to thank is Donna, who's got a very big smile on her face as she watches the kids line up. And next we see Miss Teasley has spotted Steve. <laughs> she does not look happy to see him, but I guess she's in a giving mood because without a word, she hands him a bag with the Santa suit. And I'll tell you what, Steve makes a much better Santa than Dylan ever would have. Yeah, Dylan. I mean, Dylan's a wiry fellow like that would have been a tough lap to sit on. Yeah. (laughs) Also a good point. (laughs) Those poor kids (laughs) just falling off the lap. And here David tells Donna, here's where he says he's going to take some extra required courses so he can graduate early with their class. Yay. So so the big problem was solved by just thinking for 10 minutes yep yeah everything's good which cool but then that limits their free time available to spend together but it's just five months they can handle that i hope and they do also the one common theme for donna was she probably doesn't want a lot of alone time with her boyfriend because her her father was the producer of the show and donna also that donna (laughs) donna was the one kid who kind of kept things pg yeah uh and next we see kelly and brenda decorating cookies kelly ices a letter k on one and brenda a b on hers and they give both to dylan 
along with an ultimatum. You can't have your cookie and eat it too. Whoa. So you've got to decide which of us you want to be with on New Year's Eve. Or else. And we find out a few episodes later he chooses... Kelly. (laughs) Until he doesn't. Until he doesn't. (laughs) I forget how that turns out. And it kind of goes back and forth until Brenda leaves the show. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) She moves to London. We've learned nothing. That's right. She moves to London. That's how they get her out of there and on to Charmed. And finally, to bring home the It's a Wonderful Life parallel, some kid runs past Donna with sleigh bells, and she gives us the line about what happens every time a bell rings. And we zoom in on a bell ornament on the Christmas tree behind them ringing furiously on its own. Clarence, are these wings for me? You did good, Miriam. Thank you, Clarence. Don't thank me. Thank you know who. Again, they won't mention by name. No, that's so strange. Weird. But then we end with the actual The End title card from It's a Wonderful Life with the church bell ringing just to drive it home one more time. And that is it. (laughs) A very wacky episode of Beverly Hills 90210. It's crazy. I mean, crazy, like, yeah, the, the bus and the bad effects, but crazy that they... They they actively had a writer's room meeting where they're like, let's <laughs> let's rip this off. But then they forget the the easiest part to do. What right. if somebody wasn't here? How would their lives be different? And they didn't. They just no. had, they had a storyline already. And they're like, what if we just cram this in and have somebody named Clarence talk about it? Yes. That'll do. Uh, This is exactly as early 90s as I was expecting. Yes, very much so. I love that it just goes for bizarre right out of the gate with the angel stars in the sky. And it sticks with that point and only that point during the whole thing. (laughs) Otherwise, it's a pretty normal episode that just gets interrupted constantly by cranky angels. I wonder if 80% of the episode was already formulated. Oh, probably. And maybe even shot. And then like, let's make this Christmas. And so they add like a a beginning and end and add the angels. Because there's not there's nothing Christmassy about how they handle anything else. Yeah, no, the only two parts in the whole thing where they kind of acknowledge that angels are happening is Brandon with the what the heck thing and Donna at the very end with the with the bells on the tree. Right. And like delivering presents, but everything else, like the getting over the breakup and, and Brandon and Andrea hooking up and like, this is just regular episode stuff. Oh yeah. But they really crowbarred the, it's a wonderful life thing. in, except they failed at it. They did. And that's what makes this so wacky, but, and I, I love the show and I kind of love that it, they fail so miserably. Like that's yeah. kind of part of what I like about it. It's fun to watch and it's definitely worth watching. So thank you, Ed, for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and if people want to unknowingly force you on a bus, you were impending doom. Please tell us the best place to find the Christmas book and where else you want them to find you on the Internet. So the Christmas book by Ed Daly, D-A-L-Y on on Amazon is just the, the best way to find it. Um, I'm just not very active. I, I was active, but I'm not active on Twitter, but E-Z-E-D-D-A-L-Y on Twitter. 
And if you want to reach out to me there, but I used to, I used to like tweet more and like now I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very active on it. So I would say the Christmas book Ed daily on Amazon is the best, best way to find it. Perfect. And you can find that link in the show notes and you can find those show notes on whatever you're listening to this, but just in case you can also find it at adventcalendar.house. You can say hi to me on Twitter at fallwestmike and at adventcalhouse. Tune in in just a couple of days for our Thanksgiving in July special. It's going to be a doozy. Until then, Red Daily from an unusually clear and starry night over Beverly Hills. This is Mike Westfall reminding you to please watch out for the icy patch, or if you just believe hard enough, you'll probably just zap right across it unharmed. Here's hoping. And now, these messages. What do you like about Christmas? The music, the movies, the traditions, the food, the history, all of the above? Then the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is for you. Tune in every month to hear a marginally successful stand-up comedian dig into topics like Charlie Brown Christmas, Bing Crosby, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, Jingle Bells, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, The Christmas Truce of World War One, Die Hard, Bethlehem, Gift of the Magi, Haunted Mansion Holiday, Andy Williams, Christmas Lights, Nativity Scenes, Nat King Cole, Before Christmas, Toys R Us, Silent Night, Hollywood, Christmas, Christmas, It's going to take way too long to cover all the stuff we've talked about. Just join us at Can't Wait for Christmas Pod on the 25th of every month for the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, where our motto is, keep laughing all the way. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. 